Good evening, church. It is great to be here with you guys. Uh, so encouraged by Matt and Grace's testimony and the, the worship and the singing and the violin and just uh, getting to hug a lot of old friends. I, I was here a long time ago in Long Beach, and, and some of you guys are still around from my days. Most of you guys don't know me. That's okay. Um, I'll let you know a little bit about me tonight. As uh, Brian shared, um, I've been a lot of places in the ministry, but one place I love to be all the time is in the Word. Because I see my life in the Word. And tonight we're going to talk about Judges, and um, I'll tell you a little bit about Judges, but the cool thing about Judges is it really reflects our lives. And it's kind of, as you look at the different judges and the different periods that Israel went through, you see yourself going through similar periods. And I'll kind of give you a little snapshot of what happens is with the Israelites or with you or me, you get to a point where you really need God. And you cry out to God and he listens to you and he blesses you. And then you're on top of the world. And then you get a little arrogant and you stop thinking you need God and you start getting humanistic. And then you get humbled and then you feel oppressed and you feel pressure and challenge and whatever it may be. And then you get to the point where you don't want to call out to God. It's really hard to call out to God. And then you, you call out to God and he blesses you. And then you feel awesome. And then you get prideful. <laughs> and the cycle goes over and over again. But anyway, Judges is a cool book. And tonight I'm talking about uh, Gideon. But uh, I, I do got to share, I was down in San Diego this uh, last week. They had their 50th year anniversary. And I was converted in the church in San Diego. Uh, it wasn't 50 years ago, but uh, it was a while ago. And it was so cool to be there. And a couple of things, that were, it was just great to see the fellowship and hug the people and just see what God has done over the years. But a couple of things we did back in the 80s, before some of you were born, we, we used to do these uh, fasting times where we'd fast for like two or three days. Uh, and we'd pray all night. I mean, all night. And one of the times we prayed, we were praying for the church just to, to spread. I think we were becoming zones or whatever. And we were also praying for Russia and the Soviet Union. And back then it was called the Iron Curtain. And, we, and no churches were allowed in Russia back in that time. And we were praying for China. It was called the Bamboo Curtain. And no churches were allowed back then. And what was super cool, after we prayed and fasted, we fasted and we prayed and we prayed for these things, soon afterwards... There was a perestroika and there was there was a Russia opened up to, to people coming in and religion and the church went there. And then all of a sudden, you know, the in China, they were open and we brought the churches in there. And you know how it is when you when you see God moving and answering your prayers, you're going, is that God or is that a coincidence? You know how that is? Um, but I was thinking about how many people in the world were spending three days of fasting and an all night prayer, praying for God to break down the iron curtain, and the bamboo curtain. And I doubt anyone else on earth was doing that. So I really believe God answered our prayers. And the singles got so inspired, they were praying for their singles ministry soon after this. And they were praying. It was so cool. They were praying for the different things in their ministry. But they were also praying. It was April. And that, that year in uh, San Diego, there was in, or in all of California, there was an incredible drought. And they were just praying for it to rain. It, was, it wasn't April. It was, it was February. And the next month, March, they got more, there was like more recorded rain than in the history of California. It was called Miracle March. And the disciples were so encouraged by their faith. Lots of people became Christians. But just to see the way God was answering our prayers. And I don't know if you guys um, have ever seen a miracle. You ever, you ever witnessed a miracle? Raise your hand if you've ever witnessed a miracle. You just know that that was God. Look around, guys. Look around. Is it easy to forget miracles? And that's what happened in, in Israelites' history is they would see miracles, they'd forget miracles, and we're just like that. Now, how many of you guys feel like you're in need of a miracle right now? 
I just keep my hand up. I want to tell you a story about a miracle in my life. Next slide. See this truck? It looks a lot like my, my uncle owns an alfalfa farm, ranch, whatever you want to call it, in Oregon. And when I was about 12, 13 years old, I went up there one summer and I was working. And we, you know, I was probably weighed about 85 pounds. And those hay bales weigh about 85 pounds. And me and my other uncle, we'd throw the hay bales up and then they'd stack, you know, and then he'd stack them, the three of us, and we would stack these things. And one day we're out and we'd change the water and stuff like that. But one day we're out there and if you can see the truck there, it, this, this truck that, I, that we worked on looked exactly like this thing. And it was really old and the brakes weren't very good, which I didn't know at the time. But what happened was, is we were going from one part of the farm to the other, and the truck was full of hay. And so my uncle and my aunt and my grandmother were sitting in the cab inside. And me and my other uncle were sitting on the, on the cab, on top of the red cab. And uh, we were driving down this dirt road, and everything was cool. And what happened was we started going down this hill, and the brakes on the truck went out. Can you hear it? You're fine. Do I need to move it up? Do I need to move it up? Oh, my goodness. Boom. Is that better? Turn this on too, Dave, can you? Um, but anyway, oh, that's good. I can hear myself. We were going down this thing, and we started bouncing, because, you know, dirt roads are bu- bouncy. And so I started bouncing, and I'm thinking, this isn't good. And I was holding on to the, hail, the, the bales of hay behind me, you know, trying to, you know, get a grip. And next thing I know, I'm looking in the window at my uncle looking at me, and his eyes were big. And I'm going down. And I fell under the truck, going about 30 miles per hour, going down the hill. And the next thing I see is the two tires coming at my face. And my life, my 12-year-old life flashed before my eyes. <laughs> but if you've ever heard it, it really happens. When you think you're about to die, you really, it, it happens. And everything that I had done and everything that I had hoped to do flashed before my eyes. And it was such a quick second, but everything slowed down. I just thought, this is it. It's over. And I wasn't really afraid. I just thought, my life's over. And next thing you know, I'm standing there watching the truck drive away. It might have been 200 yards away when I like had this next realization. Drove down about a quarter mile, so the, you know I had to slow down because there was no brakes. And it turned around and came back. And I'm sitting there thinking, I'm looking at myself. I don't have any broken bones. I'm like no scratches. I'm feeling my head because I know my head hit first, right? And I'm and I couldn't figure out how I rolled to stand up. And I was standing, and I would have been facing the truck. So I'm like, I can't. It didn't make sense. And so I'm thinking, I'm alive. <laughs> I was blown away. I'm like, I'm alive. This is crazy. How did I, how come I'm alive? And, I'm, and, I, and nothing was hurt. I, no scratches or anything. No grass, no dirt, no nothing. I was like, I'm alive. And I was so fired up. And I'm like, either I'm really a good acrobat tumbler or something. Or I've been saved by God or an angel or something, and I didn't know God or angels that much. But, I mean, everybody hears about God and angels. And they come back, and my grandma gets out of the car, and she starts scolding me. It was like, you know, <laughs> Charlie Brown. Rah, 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 rah. And she's yelling at me. I'm like, she, you know, I'm like, Grandma, I'm alive. And she's like, rah, 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 you scared me. I'm like, I don't, I scared me too. I'm alive. And she just yelled at me, yelled at me. She didn't get it. And finally, I was like, man, that was a miracle. Quit scolding me. You know, and I guess when you um, scare old people, they get mad. (laughs) But honestly, as I share that, I'm sure you're thinking about sometime in your life, 
when you just know God intervened. And sometimes in our lives, we just need a miracle. We don't know we need one, and God intervenes. If it's not your time to go, God isn't going to let you go. And God has intervened in your life to, to put you here today. Whether you've been here for years or whether it's your first time here, God has intervened. And, and there's other times in our life where we, you know, we, we get to the point of desperation like they did in, in the book of Judges, where, you, where they just, they really needed something. And they, they felt like quitting and they, they believed God wasn't with them and they believed that they couldn't do it and they believed that they were weak or they, they believed that um, God wasn't paying attention to them anymore. And they're like, where's God? And there's times in our life where we're just like, we want to give up, and we, we're thinking about giving up, but something pushes us through, and we don't give up. And there's this video clip I want to show you that I think is pretty inspirational about some people that you would have thought could have given up, but didn't give up. And then, I'll, then we'll open the Bible into Judges chapter 4, so let's check out this video. put her best foot forward turned down by the Decca recording company who said we don't like their sound and guitar music is on the way out a failed soldier farmer and real estate agent at 38 years old he went to work for his father as a handyman cut from the high school basketball team he went home locked himself in his room and cried teacher told him he was too stupid to learn anything and he should go into a field where he might succeed by virtue of his pleasant personality. Fired from a newspaper because he lacked imagination and had no original ideas. His fiance died, he failed in business twice, he had a nervous breakdown and he was defeated in eight elections. If you've never failed, you've never lived. cool, isn't it? Have you ever failed? <laughs> you afraid to fail? You know, and I don't know what challenges overwhelm you in your life, but we all have challenges, and we all get overwhelmed, and we all feel like quitting at times, and I just want to think about, you know, just kind of think about some of the challenges, and you could add to this list, but challenges that we face all the time that can overwhelm us. I think of money challenges. Do you have those? Health challenges. People you care about, sick or dying. I just got a text while I was sitting here that one of the campus students just had a stroke. Family challenges. Relationship challenges. You feel oppressed. You feel oppression. Addiction challenges. Things that you just feel like you can't change. And we get overwhelmed by these challenges. And yet when we read through the the pages of the Bible or we hear the testimony of our brothers and sisters who didn't give up or who depended on God or even like Matt and Grace today, you hear their story and it gives you hope. And, and the, the, the book of Judges is a book of different leaders and different people that led in different ways. Some of the judges led people into sin and other judges led them back to God. And as we read this together, we're going to see our lives kind of unfold and our emotions unfold and we're going to get some kind of a blueprint on when we get down, when we get out, when we're discouraged, when we're overwhelmed, when we don't know what to do. Ah, here's some answers right here. So open your Bible with me if you could. We're going to talk about Gideon, but before we talk about Gideon, I've got to talk about Shamgar. Anybody ever heard of Shamgar? Judges 4, verse 31. 
And since I'm kind of, I didn't know I was introducing judges, but I'm introducing judges. I'm telling you a little bit about it. But Shamgar is one of my favorite guys in the Bible because he's got a cool name. I, I'm sorry, 331. I named my cat Shamgar. We had a brother's household in San Diego, and uh, my, we got this really, this cat. It was like this orange, ugly, surly little kitten that became a really fat orange cat. And uh, we just looked at the Bible to find a cool name for the cat. It was four guys, and we found the name Shamgar. It says, after Ehud came Shamgar, son of Anath, who struck down 600 Philistines with an ox goat. He, too, saved Israel. That's all you need to know about it, right? He took an ox goat and killed 600 Philistines. That's my kind of guy. Name Shamgar is a tough name. You've got to name something after Shamgar. But anyway, the lesson's not about Shamgar. It's about Gideon. So open up to Judges chapter 6. I only shared about Shamgar because I like Shamgar. And he's one of the judges. And I am speaking, so I get to do that. Just get to say whatever I want to say, right? Uh, Gideon is cool. Gideon, in, in Gideon's life, there was so many miracles. It's just miraculous what happens in the story. And this really happened. What we're about to read really happened, and it's going to encourage you, all right? So let's pick it up. We're going to read Judges 6, 1 through 15. You guys with me here? Gideon. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep, nor cattle, nor donkey. They came up with their livestock in their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count them or their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. For seven years, they were invaded, oppressed, hiding in the cliffs. And during the seventh year, they decide to cry out to the Lord for help. I don't know what happened those other six years or seven years, but I think they did something wise here. When the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, he sent, a, he sent them a prophet who said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians, and I delivered you from the hand of all of your oppressors. I drove them out before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not listened to me. The angel of the Lord came down and sat under the oak in Oprah that belonged to Joash the Abrazite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Pardon me, my Lord? Gideon replied, But if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us when they said, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hands of Midian. 
the Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. All kinds of problems here, wasn't there? The Midianites and the Amalekites were oppressing them. One of the things they did is they took all their weapons and they took all their metal. There was no, they, they, they couldn't fight. They couldn't, even do, they couldn't farm. They, they needed them. There was little food that whenever there was crops, they'd come and take them. In fact, there was so little that the little they had, Gideon was uh, threshing the wheat inside a house, inside of a wine press. No livestock, no cattle, no sheep, no donkeys. And if you're vegan, that's okay. But I'm not. So I want a little beef every now and then. Nice ribeye on the grill. Mesquite, nice. They were worshiping the God of the Amorites. They had abandoned God, the God that brought them out of Egypt. And they were worshiping the foreign gods. And I don't know what the foreign gods are today. Is it, is it success? Is it how you look? Is it being cool? Is it the car you drive? Is it looking good in your parents' eyes or your neighbor's eyes? But I'll tell you what, when you get discouraged by God, you find out what your other gods are, don't you? Because you go running back to them. We all do. And these guys are worshiping the gods of the Amorites. Evidently, that God seemed better than God. They lost hope in God. In fact, Gideon says, where is this God? There's an angel standing before him. He's hiding out in a wine press, and he basically says, I am weak. I'm the least of my family. I'm nothing. I'm nobody. I'm a failure. You ever feel like that? Oppressed all sides. Struggling with your faith in God. Wondering if God can still work in your life. Wondering if God's out there. Wondering if you should go back to worshiping the things you worship before you worship God. You ever been there? Overwhelmed. Oppressed. And here's Gideon. Now the coolest thing about Gideon is he's like us. And God says, you're a mighty warrior. We feel like total failures, and God says, you're a mighty warrior. Go and save Israel out of Midian's hand. And what are you talking about? <laughs> Send the other guy. Send all of me. What are you kidding? You know, he's looking around, turning, looking over his shoulder. What are you talking about? Overwhelming challenges Gideon and the Israelites faced. And you know what is similar to Gideon and to us, is that sometimes we don't turn to God until things are really, really bad. And right before this happens, it says that Israel cried out to the Lord. And that's when God sent the prophet, and that's when God sent the angel to talk to, to um, Gideon. And I, I, there's this quote that I heard, and I'll put it up on the screen. People don't change until the pain of staying the same becomes greater than the pain of changing. And that's what happened with the Israelites. Seven years of pain, and finally they decide to change. In Judges 6, verse 6, it says, Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. They finally cried out to God. The same way Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 
We'll see, that, we'll see the pattern in Judges. We'll see the pattern with Paul. And you'll see the pattern in your own life. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we suffered, suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, in our hearts we felt the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. There's a human problem here that's addressed in the book of Judges. There's a human problem here that's addressed in 2 Corinthians in the New Testament times. And there's a human problem here that we all face. We have a tendency to rely on ourselves. We have a tendency to ignore God. We have a tendency for, to forget God, forget His miracles, forget the way He's worked in our life, and go back to where we were before. That's a tendency. We see it in the Bible. And Gideon really shows us ourselves. In fact, after the Lord appears to him, he decides to put God to the test. Back in Judges chapter 6. Verse 16. The Lord answered, I will be with you. And you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. Wouldn't that have been cool if God told you that? Gideon replied, if I have now found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it is really you talking to me. Please do not go away till I come back and bring an offering and set it before you. He's basically saying, uh, it's obviously an angel or the Lord, whatever. And he's saying, I need a sign. He's standing before an angel and he's saying he needs a sign. Obviously, his faith is a little weak. He's putting God to the test. And so he goes inside and gets some food. In verse 30, we'll pick it up. Or verse 20, the angel of God said to him, take the meat and the unleavened bread, place them on this rock and pour out the broth. So Gideon did so. Then the angel Lord touched the meat and the unleavened bread with the tip of the staff that was in his hand. Fire flared up from the rock, consuming the meat and the bread, and the angel of the Lord disappeared. When Gideon realized that it was an angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, Alas, sovereign Lord, I have seen an angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace, do not be afraid, you're not going to die. So he brings out the offering, and he gives it to the angel, and the angel takes his staff and touches it, and it burns up, and the angel disappears from his sight. Kind of like Star Trek, boom, gone. And then he's realizing it was an angel. He's like, wow, I'm going to die. And then God himself talks. Gideon, you're not going to die. A voice from heaven. Gideon, you would think right now, would be totally full of faith that it's God calling him. Interesting thing about Gideon. He, he decides to make a sacrifice. So he goes and he gets all the, the Amorite um, Asherah poles and the, and the, and the the elements of worship for the, Am- the Amorite God, and he, he, he breaks him down and he gets one of his bulls and he, he sacrifices the bull on it. And the next day, all the people in the area want to kill him because he took down their, their uh, idols and their Asherah poles. And uh, it's pretty interesting. They, they want to kill him, but check this out. In the morning, when the people of the town got there, this is in verse 28, there was Baal's altar demolished with the Asherah pole beside it cut down and the second bull sacrificed in the newly built altar. They asked the other, who, who did this? When they carefully investigated, they were told, Gideon, son of Joash, did it. The people in, in the town demanded of Joash, bring out your son, he must die because he has broken down Baal's altar and cut down the Asherah pole. They didn't kill him. Um, 
His dad kind of talked him out of it. But I think Gideon was probably still a little afraid. You know what I mean? He's probably hiding in the wine press again. It says, now the Midianites, verse 33, the Amalekites and the other eastern peoples, this is like a whole bunch of people, joined forces and crossed over the Jordan and camped in the valley of Jezreel. Then the Spirit of the Lord came on Gideon. And he blew a trumpet, summoning the Abrazites to follow him. He sent messengers throughout Manasseh, calling them to arms, and also into Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali. And so they too went up to meet him. Gideon said to God, now wait a minute, the Spirit of the Lord comes on him, he blows a trumpet, and everybody comes. They're all coming, right? You think you'd be totally full of faith that God's with you. Then Gideon says to God, if you will save Israel by my hand as you have promised, look, I will place wool fleece on the threshing floor. If there is dew only on the fleece and all the ground is dry, then I will know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you said. And that is what happened. Gideon rose early the next day. He squeezed the fleece and wrung out the dew, a bowl full of water. You think he was full of faith now, right? Then Gideon said to God, do not be angry with me. Let me make just one more request. Allow me one more test with the fleece. But this time make the fleece dry and the ground covered with dew. That night God did so. Only the fleece was dry. All the ground was covered with dew. Gideon puts God to the test. He asks for a sign. Another sign. And another sign. Um, You ever put God to the test? God's patient with us, isn't he? He knows we get faithless. He knows we get discouraged. He knows we doubt. You know, after the Spirit of the Lord comes on him, again, he asks for a sign. Wet fleece, dry ground, God gives it to him. Again, dry fleece, wet ground, God gives it to him. And I don't know what sign you'd be asking for, but I would, I would ask for something other than, you know, make some fleece wet or dry. But evidently, that's what he needed to really build up his faith. But, but I think about this. God was patient with us. And I think when we're faithless and when we're struggling and when we're overwhelmed, this, this verse helps me realize that even when I'm struggling, God's there. And if I, say, if I tell, if the Bible says cast your anxieties on God, He cares for you. But you know, a lot of times when we're down and we're discouraged and we're faithless, you know what we do? We don't go to God. You know what we do? We complain. We complain to our workmates, right? We gripe. Then we complain to our classmates or our roommates, or just our mates. We cast our anxieties on everybody but God, and God's right there saying, man, I got you. God wants to put his arm around us and say, let's do this together. And yet we, we, we try to do it on our own. That's what Israel did for seven years. And Gideon now, he, he's been in this slump of faithlessness, worshiping false gods, hiding out in his house, threshing his wheat in his wine press, and he's trying to get his faith back in God. So you can kind of, you you see yourself in Gideon struggling to have faith. And I don't know where you're at today in your faith. Maybe you're doing well. But I know in a group this big, there's some of us that aren't doing well. And we need to look at a story of a guy like Gideon who's just struggling. You know, so Gideon puts God to the test. And I really appreciate God because God's like, all right, you can test me. I'll burn up the sacrifice, I'll make the fleece wet, I'll make the ground wet, I'll make the fleece dry, I'll make the ground dry, whatever you want me to do. But then God turns the tables. And he starts putting Gideon to the test, which I think is really cool. So God's kind of got a sense of humor. All right, you're going to put me to the test? All right, let's see what you got. <laughs> Judges 7. 
Early in the morning, Jeroboam, that is Gideon, and all his men camped in the spring of Herod. The camp of Midian was north of them in the valley near the hill of Morah. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into your hands or Israel will boast against me. My own strength has saved me. Now announce to the army, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left while 10,000 remained. The 22,000 honest people left while the 10,000 liars remained. It was 33,000 against these, these, all these foreign armies massing together. Later on, we're going to read that the armies were so big, their camels, you couldn't even count. It was like sands on the seashore. I mean, they were all afraid. Gideon was afraid. They didn't have any weapons. They're going to war. And, you know, they're following this guy, Gideon, who's weak and the least of his clan. And God says, you got too many men. We're going to narrow it on down. We're going to give you 10,000. Gideon looks around, 10,000, well, we might be able to pull, some, pull something off with 10,000. But the Lord said to Gideon, there are still too many men. Take them down to the water, and I will thin them out for you there. If I say this one shall go with you, he shall go. But if I say this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. So Gideon took the men down to the water. Then the Lord told him, separate those who lap the water with their tongues as a dog. Laps from those who kneel down to drink. 300 of them drank from cupped hands lapping like dogs, and all the rest got down on their knees to drink. So God said he's going to separate these 10,000. And he says, with all of those who lap like this, send them over there, that was 300. With all the other ones that get down on their knees to drink, send them over there, that was 9,700. So Gideon's looking at the group, and he's like, all right, 10,000, okay, that's cool, I got 9,700. I'm good with 9,700. Those 3,000, maybe God didn't like the way they drank water. I don't understand, but there's 300. These guys are going to have to go. And the Lord said to Gideon, with the 300 that lapped, I will save you and give Midian into your hands. Let all the others go home. I just think that's funny. God's sense of humor, right? Gideon, you going to test me? I'm going to give you a couple tests. I don't think God needed it. I mean, God could have used all, you know, 33,000 of them. He could have done that or, or 32,000, whatever it was. You guys will go to Long Beach State. Help me with my math. The Lord said to Gideon, with the 300 that lapped, I will save you and give Midian into your hands. Let all the others go home. So Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites home, but kept the 300 men who took over the provisions and trumpets of the others. Now the camp of Midian lay below him in the valley. During that night, the Lord said to Gideon, get up, go down against the camp because I'm going to give it into your hands. Now I want to um, just talk about how God turned the table here. These guys have no weapons. They have jars, torches, and trumpets. And they're going against an army of armed men. And they're on this, this hill, and they're looking down into this valley filled with tents and soldiers and probably fires burning, and they see their weapons probably, and they see their servants, and they see this vast army. And there's 300 of them, probably against 10s, 20s, 50, 100,000, who knows? A lot of them, right? And if it were me, and I went from 32,000 down to 10,000, down to 9,700, down to 300, and I got no weapons, and I'm going against this army that's just more people than I can see, and I'm looking down this valley, I would be terrified. If I was one of, I mean, Gideon, if I was Gideon, I'd be terrified. If I was one of the 300, I'd be terrified, because I'm like, this guy, Gideon? Are you sure God's talking to you? Because God's talking to Gideon and Gideon's making the decisions, right? 
Are you sure? You ever get like that with your leaders, right? Are you sure God's talking to you? I'm sure you get that way. Yeah. But God talks. So, in verse 10, if you're afraid to attack, so basically he tells him to go attack, and he says, but if you're afraid, of course you're afraid. But if you're afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant Pura and listen to what they're saying. Afterwards, you'll be encouraged to attack the camp. So he and Pura, his servant, went down to the outpost of the camp. The Midianites, the Amalekites, and all the other eastern peoples had settled in the valley. Thick as locusts. Their camels could no longer be counted than the sand on the seashore. There's a lot of folks there. Gideon arrived just as a man was telling his friend a dream. I had a dream, he was saying. A round loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Midianite camp. It struck the tent with such force that the tent was overturned and collapsed. His friend responded. And Gideon and Pure are listening. This can be nothing other than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite. God has given the Midianites and all, the whole camp into his hands. When Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he bowed down and worshipped God. Can you imagine this? He's, he's in the camp of the foreign army. Him and his servant. They don't, know, they don't know he's there. And he's probably outside a tent with the firelight flickering. And he's listening to this dream, probably on the other side of a piece of canvas or animal skin or something like that. And he hears this. And outside this tent of the foreign armies, he gets down on his knees and worships God. Can you visualize that? Isn't that cool? I was just like, this is so cool. When Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he bowed down and worshipped. He returned to the camp of Israel and called out. Now, you've got to realize, God woke him up. It's nighttime. And he goes down to the camp at night. So all, the, all his guys are asleep. He returned to the camp of the Israelites and called out, Get up! Get up! Get up! He's going around the camp waking everybody up. It's fun to do, right? Wake people up. My brother calls me early in the morning. Did I wake you up? Yeah, good. I do the same to him. Anyway, side note. The Lord has given the Midianite camp into your hands. Dividing the 300 men into three companies, he placed trumpets and empty jars into the hands of them with torches inside. He places trumpets and jars with torches inside. Visualize this. They're going to war. I got a torch. Woohoo! What am I doing this? I got a jar. All right. Cool. <laughs> what am I doing this? And a trumpet. I got a trumpet. That's cool. I don't know how to play a trumpet. The other guy gave me the trumpet when he left. <laughs> this is cool. This weak, scared, timid, faithless dude named Gideon says, watch me, he told them. Follow my lead. When I get to the edge of the camp, do exactly as I do. When I and all who are with me blow their trumpets... Then from all around the camp, blow yours and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. Gideon and the hundred men with him reached the edge of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch just after they had changed the guard. They blew their trumpets. They broke their jars that were in their hands. The three companies blew the trumpets and smashed the jars. Grasping the torches in their left hands and holding in their right hands the trumpets they were to blow, they shouted, A sword for the Lord and for Gideon. While each man held his position around the camp, all the Midianites ran, crying as they fled. 
When the 300 trumpets sounded, the Lord caused the men throughout the camp to turn on each other. And with their swords, the army fled to Beth Shittah, towards Zerah, and all over the place. And they wiped them out. That was kind of a paraphrase of the end of it. They wiped him out. God spoke to Midian, told him to go down to the camp. He says, if you're afraid, go listen. And you know, sometimes God talks to us, doesn't he? And we're all afraid at times. And if you're going to follow God, it's going to be a scary place to go. You heard Grace talking about it earlier, like, this is a scary place to go. But I got nowhere else to go. Where else am I going to go? This is where I'm going to get salvation. This is where I can change. But it's scary, right? Being a disciple, you walk in the light. That's the scariest place of all because that's where truth resides, right? You can know everything about me and still respect me and love me and like me. Yeah. Because you're a sinner and I'm a sinner and we're both saved by the grace of God. He listens to the Midianites' dream. He listened to God. God said, if you're afraid, go down. He went down, he listened to the Midianite dream, he heard the interpretation, and he drew the conclusion, you know what? God's really going to help us win this thing. He goes back to the camp full of faith. You hear what he says, get up! Follow me! Do exactly as I do! I mean, this is a changed dude. You remember the beginning of the story? He's hiding out. What about me? And give me a sign. And I want another sign. And make the wool wet. You know, it's like, come on, dude. And he got courage from God. I don't know where you're at right now, but God wants to give you courage. But when God talks, you've got to listen. You know, the Bible says that Elijah heard God in a whisper. And I wonder about that. Why did God... Talk to Elijah in a whisper. And what that tells me is that you've got to listen to hear God. The Bible says, if you ask, you'll receive. If you seek, you'll find. If you knock, the door will be open. And that means you've got you to look for God. You've got to listen for God. You've got to be in tune with God's, what God's trying to tell you. I was studying the Bible with a guy that got baptized today, this week. And he was praying for God to make some things clear to him. And so we've been on the phone like back and forth over the last couple of days a lot. And uh, this guy called him from one of his old churches and said, you know what? And the guy doesn't agree with our doctrine. It's a church that has a different doctrine. He said, this is what you need to do. Exactly what the guy was praying for. This guy that doesn't even believe the way he believes tells him basically what he's asking God an answer for. This guy that's kind of against him calls him and tells him this is what you need to do. Out of the blue. And so this guy's like, you know what? I just need to give my life to God. I, I just need to make Jesus Lord. I need to repent. I, I, I've been doing this on my own. I need to do it Jesus' way. And so right after church this morning, we went down to Playa del Rey, the beach of the king. That's where we go. That's where we baptize. We baptize at the beach of the king. God's the king. And he made Jesus Lord, and it was so cool. And he comes out of the water, and everyone's hugging him. And like... Everyone's talking and hugging. You know how it is at a baptism, right? And he's like, I'm so happy I'm forgiven. And he was so fired up. But he was listening for God, and God talked to him. And I think God's talking to all of us all the time. 
And he wants to give us courage. And he wants to help us. God gave Gideon courage. He can give you courage. You know, his plan was crazy. The idea was crazy. He wasn't confident. And then he became confident. You know, they trusted and followed him. And they must have thought this plan really must have come from God because it's so crazy. And God came through. And I think about this story. And what does this mean for me? And what does this mean for you? And I want to talk about some lessons from this victory, all right? Some of the lessons. Sometimes God allows challenges in our lives. Sometimes God allows challenges in our lives. Think about this. Would God rather have you go through a challenge and have a relationship with him or have no challenges and not talk to him? What about sickness? God, would God want you fully healthy and totally dependent on yourself or maybe ill and relying on him? Think about it. The Israelites were oppressed and God allowed it. He allowed the Amalekites. He allowed the Midianites. He allowed the Eastern peoples to oppress them. Why would God do that? It doesn't sound fair. God so much wanted a relationship with the Israelites. And God wants a relationship with you. Whether you're a disciple, you've been a disciple for a long time, how's your relationship with God? Are you close to God? And some people, you know, they come to church because they want to go to heaven. And I wonder about this. Because I'm like, if you come to church and you go through the church rituals and you get baptized or whatever you do because you want to go to heaven, but you don't talk to God, like you're not going to like heaven at all. Because heaven's not going to be religious. It's about a relationship with God. You're going to be walking with God. You know, in the garden, when God came there in the, in the cool of the afternoon, he was looking for Adam and Eve because he wanted to hang out with them. And sometimes God allows challenges in our life. And people say, why do, why do bad things happen to good people? Or why, how do bad things happen? And you know what? We had a, a girl at church this morning with leukemia that's on her last leg. It might be her last service. I have a friend named Chuck Catanio in Orange County that just got, got diagnosed with th- stage 3 cancer. We all know people who are going through tragic times. And God wants us to turn to him. You know, the other thing I learned from this is God's patient when we doubt, when we're afraid, and when we're faithless. You ever doubt? You ever fear? You ever get faithless? And another thing I learned about God is He puts His arm around us and He he helps build our faith in a patient way. It might be radical, but He's patient. I love the way He tried to help build Gideon's faith. From 32,000 to 10,000 to 9,700 to 300 with jars torches and trumpets. And you've got to visualize that scene. The, the Midianites, as they looked up on the hillside because they were in the valley, I just imagine this, that they all lined up at maybe 10 yards apart from each other across the, the hillside, right? So when the Midianites looked up, they heard these trumpets, you know, and it was like 300 trumpets. And, and if each trumpet represented 1,000 men, which probably normally it did, maybe they thought there was 300,000 people behind those 300 trumpets. And every torch, they thought there was a thousand men behind it. And then they heard these jars crashing, and it must have sounded like the hooves of a, of a huge calvary. And could you imagine being a Midianite and having dreams about Gideon wiping you out? And then looking up onto the hillside and hearing these 300 trumpets? And seeing these 300 torches? 
and hearing this loud crashing noise, it was exactly God's plan to scare the tar out of them. And they started running and they started killing each other and the Amalekites are killing the Midianites and the Midianites are killing the other Eastern peoples and they're all wiping each other out and Gideon doesn't even have a sword. God wiped him out. The kind of funny thing is, is God called him a mighty warrior. He wasn't a warrior, he was a trumpet blower. He was a torch holder. He was a jar smasher. He said, you will wipe out the Midianites. God wiped out the Midianites. And Gideon got the victory. And why? I think that, that what's the story in that for us is that God believes in you. He's got a plan for you. He's got a plan for your life. And maybe you're discouraged. Maybe you feel like you're washed up. Maybe you feel like your best days are behind you. But God's got a plan for your life. You are here. You're alive. You're at church. You have gifts and talents and dreams and passions and abilities that God gave you that He wants you to use for Him. Your best days are not behind you. They are ahead of you. God's talking. Are you listening? You need to remember the victories that God's given in your life. I want to give you a couple suggestions before I close out, all right? Because what's a good lesson without a couple challenges, right? Suggestion number one. A suggestion is something you don't have to do. I just recommend you do it, all right? When challenged, take it to God first. Does that make sense? When overwhelmed, take it to God first. Don't gripe about it. Don't complain about it. Don't talk to your workmates, your schoolmates, your roommates, or your mates. Take it to God. When you doubt, ask God for faith. Pray for faith. Read the Word. The Word gives you faith. Faith comes from hearing the message it says in Romans chapter 10. When you're having a hard time praying for faith or reading the Bible about faith, battle through it and read anyway. Or pray anyway. I tell the brothers when they're struggling with something, I say, get out of the house and go walk around the block and start talking to God. I guarantee you will not do that sin you were tempted to do. Because you can't do it out on the sidewalk. you got to battle to win. you got to pay careful attention to hear God's voice. God may have talked to you today when you walked in. He may talk to you on the way out. He may have talked to you through the lesson. But God has a message for you. And here's something I want to encourage you to do is to to get a prayer journal. You can get one at Target for two bucks. Just a pad of paper. And start writing down the things you're praying for, the miracles that you want to see happen in your life. Make a list of them. Make a list of the people you want to pray for that every time somebody says, pray for me, and you say, okay, you actually do it. And then have a section there for answered prayers. And when you get discouraged, and and remember all the ones in your life, and if you remember something else in another quiet time, write it down. And write down all your victories. And when you're discouraged, read over the victories and share them with others. Share their miracles. Share the victories. Share how God's working in your life, because that builds the faith of other people. Gideon was a man just like us. We're doing an Iron Man series because he's like considered an Iron Man. He wasn't an Iron Man. He was a milk toast man. God's the Iron Man. And you know what? God wants you to be an Iron Man. God wants to make something out of you, but you have got to rely on God. You know, this lesson, it's for me. I love studying it out. This lesson, though, is for you. And I really want to encourage you as we go through the book of Judges together to open up the book and start reading it. Find a quiet place in your home and start reading the book of Judges. Study it in your quiet times because God's got so many lessons in here 
of what not to do and what to do. And you'll see the cycle in your life of depending on yourself, getting to the point of crying out to God, depending on God and seeing miracles in your life. And my prayer for all of us guys is that God can do amazing miracles in our life. This world is yet to be evangelized. There are many people who are poor, who are sick, who are needy. There are people at your workplaces that need compassion. There's people that you need to call tonight. God has work for us to do. I want to close out tonight with a prayer, and let's pray to God for all of us. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the book of Judges. Thank you for the story of Shamgar and Gideon and all the other judges in the Bible. And God, I pray tonight that we will take these uh, words to heart, that we will go home and we'll, we'll reflect on the message. We'll read them again. We'll read the, the verses again. I pray, God, that we will um, listen to what you're trying to tell us. I pray, God, that we, if we're overwhelmed, if we're discouraged, if we feel like we're about ready to quit, God, give us this courage not to quit. I pray, God, that we will pray and I pray we'll read our Bibles until we change, until we get courage. And God, we know you want to give us courage. Please give each and every one of us courage to face whatever challenge we're facing. God, we thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Can you guys hear me? There we go. Thank you, Tony. Y'all stand it up? You guys stand up? All right, looks good. Looks good. Bam, there we go. Put your hands together. Show me the wonder of your great down the thunder from above, above. Rain down the thunder to fill me up. Show me the wonder. Show me the wonder. There we go. Show me the wonder when I am weak. You take me under your tender wings and tell me that you will rest.